Thanks. You can have a seat. Well, it's Sunday, and we are continuing our study in the life of Moses. When we left last week, we were talking about the tabernacle. And we were looking at all of the things that were involved in the tent and the materials and all of the things that were involved in the building of the tabernacle. This morning, we're leaving the book of Exodus. We're actually going to head to the book of Numbers. And so in the book of Numbers, we're going to read about how this thing goes from this point on. So here's what it says. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant of the law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening to morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. At night, it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at His command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was set over the tabernacle only a few days at the Lord's command, and they would encamp. Then at His command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening until morning, and then it lifted in the morning. They set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped. At the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with His command through Moses. Now, give you an idea of what this may have looked like, here's some artist's renderings of the idea. There's one of, of what the cloud may have looked like. Here's another one. I kind of like this idea because it kind of went up and covered everything. Uh, here's kind of the the Twin Towers look uh, with it. Here's a kind of a flame kind of thing, just to give you some ideas. But notice all the tents setting around it because the tabernacle sat in the middle uh, as this thing. So as, they, as I read that passage this morning, what stood out? Yeah, they, they, when, they, when it moved, they moved. When it stayed, they stayed. Now, we lose that concept sometimes of thinking about the implications of that. And I think that's the great lesson for us today. So let me give you a bunch of background, and then we're going to jump into it and then talk about how some things apply to us as we live our lives this week. Um, this idea of the cloud representing God uh, is interesting. Uh, it's an interesting concept. Some people think that, like that one picture where the cloud kind of went over top of the camp, it, that would have shielded Israel from from some of the intense heat of that area? Um, I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by the idea of the fire, uh, because if you know me, uh, you know that as, as someone who likes to blow glass, I like to play with fire. Uh, the fire that, that we are dealing with, the temperatures that we deal with when we blow glass are somewhere between 2,000 and 2,200 degrees. So, you know, I like that. The whole fire thing fascinates me. Fortune fire, I'm, I'm a fan. I watch that show. Uh, I follow that kind of stuff. So the, the, the idea that God decided to reveal himself by fire is a fascinating concept to me. Because when you think about it, fire has this, this mystery about it. You, you know how it goes. You sit around a campfire and you're mesmerized. 
You know, some of you have these little, what do they call them? Um, those things that you have at your house, those little mini fire pit things. Fire pit, yeah, those little fire pit things. Uh, the, the, those little fire pit things, you know, where you, you sit around and, and you get, because there's a, there's a mystery about it for some reason. There's this, there's this fascinating thing about fire. You, you know, in the winter, you fire up the fireplace if you have one of those. Uh, there's, there, it's this idea of, it has this warming ability, uh, this, this cheerful, at ease kind of thing, and yet it, it has this terrifying aspect to it. I mean, I mean you saw this last week. You know, with the, with the fire uh, in Anthem. I mean, terrifying the fact that the thing can just become so all-consuming so quickly. Uh, so it's interesting to me that when God wants to represent himself, he chooses fire um, as, as an idea. When you go through scripture, you see a lot of uses for it. You see it often in sacred things. Um, one of the things that you'll see... Uh, with regard to the pagans, as the pagans said, uh, they offered strange fire. Anytime fire is associated with worship and it's not associated with the God of heaven, it's called strange fire in the Bible. Um, you see it uh, used in the Bible with regards to cooking, uh, just in the domestic use. You see it uh, with the idea of punishment. Uh, often um, in the Old Testament time and in that culture, when someone was not worthy of a proper death, they, they, they burned the body. Uh, it was a way of uh, marking that person as not an honorable person. They weren't worthy of an actual burial. Uh, we just wanted them burned and gone. Um, so let me take a rabbit trail real quick. Because uh, this comes up a lot. I, I, get the, I would say I probably get this question 10, 15 times a year. What about Christians in cremation? Uh, you need to understand that when the Bible talks about um, the idea of burning a, a body, that it was in that cultural context of often um, a body was burned because the person did not deserve a burial. Okay? That, was the, that was the mindset of the day. Uh, it was really a way to dishonor someone or someone's life, or someone's legacy, or what that person represented. When we, look at, when we look at it today, it doesn't have that connotation. Uh, and, and realistically, here's what's happened in our culture. Uh, cremation has become a, uh, often a financial or logistical decision for a family. Uh, often what we see uh, with families uh, today is that uh, first of all, the, the expenses related to a funeral are, are continue to climb. And so cremation becomes a financial, um, a financial choice for many people. So, you know, one of the questions that I always ask families, well, why are, you, why are you wanting to have a cremation? And if the answer is, well, they weren't worth living and I want to dishonor their life, then I go, nee, let's, let's work through that. That's probably the bigger issue, Okay. Uh, that's not the issue that I get off, and I get it's financial. By the way, um, statistics tell us uh, I think that the next five years we're looking at cremations increasing to probably about 75% of people who die will be cremated. A second issue uh, comes up logistically. It's very hard to get families together, and so when someone's cremated, you can, you can actually tailor the service around 
a better time, a better situation, those kinds of things. So when I talk to families and they look at me and they go, you know, no, it's not about, I want to honor them. Okay, great. Then you know what? Then, then I, don't, I don't think there's a scriptural issue here. Um, and I know there's some arguments about the whole resurrection thing, but my issue is, you know, God can resurrect anything. So I'm not too worried about that. But so from a biblical perspective as a pastor, um, I, I, don't, I don't see a biblical thing against cremation. I really don't. Um, uh, however, I always tell families two things. Um, number one, have a plan for the ashes. And you go, well, you know, I'm going to keep my plan. Okay, I get that. But what happens when something happens to you? Now what do they do? So, so have a plan for the ashes. The second thing I always encourage people to do is this. Put a marker somewhere. So that generations past you have a place to go or that you uh, or your family grieving has a place to go. I think those are two important issues that I always share with family. You know, go, go, go buy a plot, put down a marker, go set up someplace, but have a place, a marker and, and, and have a plan for the, for the ashes. And I always tell families that because I think that often that I know that we struggle when my, my, my best friend passed away and it took me a couple of years to figure out what to do with the ashes in a way to, to honor and, 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 and memorialize his life. And so uh, now, like I always tell families, come up with a plan that way. But back to my story. Um, fire often in the Old Testament was associated with that. It was associated when God would, uh, you're going to see this when the children of Israel go into the promised land, uh, they would go in and they would burn an entire city. Because you see, once you have burned everything in the city, the people now can't fight. They've got to go take care of the daily needs. So it was a way to conquer a, a, a community, was to go in and just level everything, put, burn everything up. So they basically then, that city would have to start all over. So there's those kinds of ideas that you see in the Old Testament. And then you see it as, a, as a, uh, the other way is you see it as a way to reflect God's presence and, and His power and even His Word. So let's talk about it from Moses' life, okay? So let me walk you through how we get to fire at the tabernacle in the Bible. The first time you see fire mentioned in the Bible is at the Garden of Eden, where when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, he puts two flaming swords. So that's the first time we see fire. Uh, we see it again uh, with the sacrifices. For instance, Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham's getting wood to go and, and, and sacrifice Isaac. In the life of Moses, we see it's the way that God first reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, where he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. Then we see it in the plagues, when one of the plagues is a plague of fire. Then we see it where children of Israel walk out of the promised land and God's leading them by a, by a, a, a pillar, a cloud and, a, and fire. Then we see it here, in how God's going to lead them. You, you see it in the tabernacle. I think it's interesting. In the tabernacle, you have fire at the laver in the outside court. Then you go into the holy place where there's a candlestick with fire. And then you go into the holy of holies at the mercy seat where God is, is dwelling as, as, as a pillar of fire. So you see it there. Um, when you get into the New Testament, it's interesting. Uh, it's said of John the Baptist that he... He came baptizing with water and fire. Uh, you see it at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and he lights upon them with cloven tongues of, of, of fire. Uh, you see it in uh, James when James talks about the idea that 
uh, your, the tongue is, 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 is a fire. It has the ability to, to do damage if you're not careful. So you see this interesting idea uh, developed all the way through um, the scriptures as far as, as far as the fire goes. Uh, when we come to this passage, one of the things that we see is we see God saying, look, Israel, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to have to learn to depend on me. Uh, so let's walk through what he said here in the whole tabernacle thing, because as you got the idea, as I read it over and over again, it was kind of like when God moved, you move. When God stayed, you stayed. And that seems simple. But do you remember the amount of weights that we were talking about moving last week? Do you, did you see all the little tents set up around the tabernacle? Taking those down and putting those back up? One of the things that you see in this, again, you, you have to understand what God's doing with His people. God's trying to teach His people some principles. They have been in slavery. They've been in Egypt. Now all of a sudden, they're His people out in the wilderness. And God's got to teach them some things. And one of the things this whole concept of when I go, you go, when I stay, you stay, is this. He's trying to teach them to wait on Him. He's trying to teach them that, you know what, life isn't as, as uh, routine as your life in Egypt was. Because you see, if you think about it, their life in Egypt was the same. Every day was consistent. They got up, they made bricks. They made bricks all day, they went to bed, they got up, they made bricks. You know what they were going to do tomorrow? Make bricks. You know what their plan was a week from now? Make bricks. You know what they're going to do this time next year? Make bricks. Everything was, was planned out. And God's got to teach these people, look, life with me is not that way. Life with me is you're going to have to wait. And, and you're going to have to learn to watch. And you're going to have to learn to see what I'm doing. And so one of the issues that you see is you've got to learn to wait for me. Isn't that the hardest part of the Christian life for us? Just learning to wait on what God has for us next? Because we, me, I like it all planned out. I don't think making bricks is a bad deal because I don't have to think about it. You know, is that not what's the, one of the hardest issues with this COVID thing for anybody who's in any kind of position at work where you just don't know what's going to happen next? And isn't that, isn't that what's frustrating a lot of us? Because we want life back to the way it was. We want our routine back. We want predictable back. We want to go back through our little all of our little hoops and get back to knowing what was going to happen the next day. But here's a question. Shouldn't we be living all along with this idea of waiting for what God has next? That's what God's trying to teach Israel. He's also trying to teach him to worship. He's trying to teach him that, you know what? If you want to be where I am, then you have to follow me. If you want to be, if you want to spend time with me, I'm moving. You either move with me or you're not going to get to spend time with me. And so Israel, now follow this, because you've got to think this through, Israel would have to pack all of this stuff up, pack up their own stuff, and move. So walk through this for a second. Um, and let, me give you a, let me give you a little bit of background. 
When they moved, here's what would happen. Um, Judah would move out first, then Reuben's camp would follow, then the Levites would follow, uh, then the, the east and the west tribes were all set up. They, they would follow after that. The Levites were responsible for moving the tabernacle. Okay, that was their job. There were three clans within the Levite group that each had specific jobs when it came to moving the tabernacle. Uh, the Kohanites, uh, they were responsible for moving all of the holy things. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the camp, all, all, everything to do with the, the holy utensils, so to speak. They had to carry them by hand on their shoulders. That was the rule. That was what they were responsible for. Um, the Gershonites, they moved the curtains. That was their job. Remember all that material that we talked about last week? Their job was to move all of that stuff. Remember I talked about just the massive amount of that and how much it would have weighed and all of that kind of thing? Um, they were allowed two carts and four oxen to move that stuff. So they were given two carts and four oxen. Then the um, uh, Merarites, they moved the poles, the bars, the pegs, all of that. They were also given two carts, four oxen. So they had some help. They could just load their stuff up and go to the next spot. Um, okay, rabbit trail. I've got to go there. Uh, I've got to go there. You remember David and the story of the Philistines? When David wants to get the ark back to Israel? Uh, read it. it. It's a fascinating story. What happens is um, it was in the temple of Dagon. They, the, the Philistines had the ark, then it got camped somewhere in Israel. And David's, David's passion was to get the ark back to Israel and not let it be in Philistine territory. So David sends a group down to get the ark. And he puts it on a cart to bring it back. And as it starts to fall, and there's some theological debate here, somebody reaches out to grab it because the, the cart stumbled, the ox stumbled, and uh, God strikes him dead immediately. Now, some people believe that it wasn't so much the stumbled as he tried to look into it. But um, the, the issue is this. As they're moving the cart, David's trying to do a good thing, get it back to Israel, get it back to Jerusalem, and God strikes him dead. And, and, and David stops the whole thing. He says, park it right there. We've got to figure out what we're doing wrong. And then he realizes they were never to put it on a cart. The other stuff was allowed to be carried on a cart, not, not the holy stuff. That was all to be carried by hand. So then they go back later and they get it and they bring it in with the Levites and the Conites and the, the whole thing and all of that, uh, which is a fascinating story because here's why. You have to understand this about God. You can do the right thing in the wrong way and encourage God's judgment. See, you have to do the right thing in the right way at the right time for God's blessing. You've got to get all three of those right. Israel, David, tried to do the right thing. Let's get the ark to, back to Jerusalem. But he tried to do it the quickest way possible instead of the way God said to do it. Here's something you learn about God in this whole ark covenant moving thing. There is no option but to do it God's way, period. There are people who will tell you there are many ways to God, and God will be understanding. No, he won't. God is clear. I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to God. 
What about all these really good, good, good people? I'm sorry. There's no other way to God. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father but through me, period. I can't believe God would be that narrow. Jesus says that. Narrow is the road. Few there be that find it. Wide is the path of destruction. There are many heading down it. And you go, well, I can't believe God. No, no, this is what you need to understand about God. God is loving. He went to the cross for us. But he is also a God who is holy and just. And he does not, he's not gonna, he's not gonna fudge and go, okay, I'm gonna give you a pass. It is incredibly explicit that you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to have salvation and be with him for all eternity. There is no, you see this in the, the whole story of David. You see this in the teachings of Jesus over and over again. So, okay, rabbit trail done. I got to get back to the story. So anyway, so they pick this thing up and they move it. Now, it, so they got to wait on God. They want to worship him. They want to be close to him. So in order to do that, they, got, they, 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 they want to be close to God and they're trying to figure that out. And the only way to do that is to follow God. Listen to what James says. James says it this way. Um, here's how James says it. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's the thing. You have to decide to pursue God and follow God in what God wants you to do. And Israel said, okay, we're going to do that. But now think about this for a second. Think about the kind of life Israel would have. So you got your little family. I got my little family. And we're part of Israel. And we get up in the morning and we see the cloud and it's there and we're like, okay. All right, kids, we're going to be here today. <clears throat> what about tomorrow, Daddy? Tomorrow's tomorrow, don't know. And we get up the next day and the cloud's moving. Hey, kids, pack it up. We're on the move. And if you're one of the Levites, you got a job of, of, of hey, Temple crew, let's go. And you get it all packed up, and you get it moving to where God stops. And then you go, all right, unpack it. So you get the temple and the tabernacle all set up, because that's a priority. That was the center of everything. Now, my family is following all of this, and so my family gets to our little tent site. Now, here's, what, here's the question. What do I do? How comfortable do I make myself? Because the bottom line is, I can get up tomorrow and that thing's moved again. So do I set the tent up or say, hey, kids, tonight we're going to sleep under the stars? Because I don't know what tomorrow holds. And so we decide to keep it all packed up and we sleep under the stars and we get up the next day and it hadn't moved. So now what do you do? Okay, kids, let's set up the tent, but don't take all the games out yet. We'll leave those. We'll leave the cornhole game for later. Let's just leave it packed up. So we now do set up our tent thing. And we get up the next day, and it's moving. Kids, pack it all up. We're going again. And we do that. One day we get up, and it's not moved. And we get up the next day, and it's not moved. And we get up, and, and it's been there now for a week or two weeks. And I'm looking, I'm going, you know what? You know what? I tell you what, let's pave the area in front of the tent. So it's nicer for us. And as soon as I get it paved, the cloud moved. Because <coughs> here's the idea. God didn't want them to get too comfortable here. 
because that wasn't going to be their home. The promised land was. Uh, that has incredible implications for you. You know, the, the, the idea that you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. You don't know what, 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 what's, what's every day you got up not knowing what was going to happen that day, whether or not you were going to move. And you go, that would be a tough life. Yes. That's life dependent upon God. That's what, the, that's what God wanted to teach the children of Israel every day. You get up not knowing what I'm going to do. But whatever I do, I want you to follow. I want you to follow me. Proverbs says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Don't keep trying to figure it out. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. Every day, every situation, you get up and you go, you know what, I'm going to trust God today. Do I know what's going to happen? No, I don't know what's going to happen. Here's the crazy thing. This whole COVID thing is basically the way a lot of us should have been living anyway. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Bingo. Well, what about this? Bingo. So what are you going to put your stock in? Your routine of making bricks every day? Or are you going to put your stock in the idea that God will lead me, God will direct me, God is at work, I'm going to trust in Him, He's going to get me through the next situation. What are you going to do? How are you going to live it? You see, this idea of the fire and the cloud teach us a lot about life because God's trying to teach His people, look, depend on me every day. Follow me wherever I take you. So let's just talk about it for us and, and some things that will help you as you leave here today or you turn off the TV or whatever it is you're going to do and go into your week. So, so here's the idea. Uh, two ideas. Here's the first thing. The first thing is this idea that life with God has an uncertainty about it in this world. If you are looking for a predictable life, the Christian journey is not for you. Go sign up somewhere else. If you want things that are all planned out and smooth and rainbows and roses, this ain't for you. In fact, I would argue just the opposite. I would argue that most Bible characters have a life of difficulty and hardship because they follow Jesus, because they follow God. This, I mean, think about it for a second from the life of the children of Israel. You're going to go home today to a house that is going to still, well, most of you, that's still going to be there tomorrow. I mean, some of you have houses on wheels, I get that. But, I mean, the idea for a lot of people is, most of us, our house is going to be in the same place tomorrow. And our routine is going to be pretty much similar to what it was last week. That's, so what happens is, we get so dependent upon our routines that we become confident and trust in the security of our routine. I was reading an article, actually this morning, and it was talking about how the church is responding to this COVID thing, and one of the things that it said is, one of the things that this has done for the church is it's gotten it off its bubble. It's forced the church to all of a sudden not be so dependent on its programs and its plans and its routine and its, okay, now it's this season, so we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this. And everybody, it's been fruit basket upset. 
So everybody's having to go, what's important? What do we value? Uh, why do we do this? Can we get rid of this? What do we need to add? How can we minister here? And it's forced the church to step back and go, hey, we need to really be sensitive to what God's doing and where God's leading and how we can be minister. And it's been a good thing for the church. And I know for us, you know, do I want to sign up for this again? Not on your life. But has this pushed me outside my comfort zone? You bet. It was easier to jump into a, into a wind tunnel in Minneapolis and do that indoor skydiving than it was to pastor through some of this stuff. And so, you know, why? Because that's what happens. We like our routine and we get dependent upon our routine instead of God. And that, that is so, un look, this world is uncertain. Here, and I say this over and over again. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I don't care what age you are in here, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. So make the most of today. Make it count. You know, well, I'm feeling good. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. There's an uncertainty about this world. We've got to realize that. Because we get comfortable in the certainties that we think are going to be there. The, the second idea is this. God was always with Israel. They would have to get up every day and see where he was and follow him and what he was doing. So if God moved, they had to move. But God was always right there. All they had to do was decide whether or not they were going to see him and follow him. I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I don't know if finances are just become overwhelming. Your job situation is super insecure. Your marriage is struggling. Your kids aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing and, and working out the way that you thought it ought to work out. Your future isn't quite planning out like you thought it should plan out. But here's the thing. God is with you. If you're, if you're a child of God, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is right in the middle of all of it. The question is whether or not you can see him at work. And, 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 and this is catchy. This is tricky. Um, I've been in situations where it is evident that there is something supernatural in that situation, in that circumstance. You can't explain it. You can't plan it. You, can't, you just know that in that moment, God is there. Um, I've been in conversations with people where there was something supernaturally eerie in which you could just tell you were on sacred ground and that they were sharing something with you or you were sharing something with them or God had brought the conversation to a point where, where it was, it was a, a real heart-to-heart -heart kind of conversation and God was at work. Um, and I've been in situations where I know God's at work, but I can't see it. So I just have to trust that he's at work. I think that's the majority of our lives. Where I know that God's working around me, God's going to work through this, God's going, and I'm just going to have to trust God. Israel had to get up and go, you know what? i got to trust God that he knows where we're going. And we're going to follow him, and we're going to trust him, and then we get there and we camp. Why, why does God keep us here for two days instead of five? I don't know. Could it be? That God's protecting you? 
from an enemy that if you left in two days, you would run into, but five days you're going to bypass? I don't know. I don't know, but God's at work. He's always at work around us. And, and our goal, one of the things we want to try to do is to see him at work. This is something I ran across this week, and it has, it has just, I can't shake it. So I thought, I'll share it to you, and you can deal with it. Here's what he said. While I am living in Sunday, God is already in Tuesday. Now, you can think about that for a minute. While you're worried about what's going on today, God's already got Tuesday planned out. So why are you worried about Sunday? When we can start to see God at work and start to see situations and circumstances from that perspective, God, I don't know why I'm going through this at work right now, but I know you're at work. I know you're with me. I trust you. Help me to be able to respond in a proper way. God, I don't understand why, why we're going through this with uh, my finances right now, but Lord, um, I'm going to trust you. I, I know you're with me. I know that you'll somehow work this out through, work this out with us. So I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you say to do, and I'm just going to trust you that you're going to work this out. Lord, my job situation is so uncertain right now. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. My marriage, Lord, we're just going to try to do what's right and, and stick through it and stick to you and try to figure it out. And, and, and God, you're going to have to work out what you can only, only you can work out. God, you know, I didn't, I didn't orchestrate this scenario within my life, but I'm just going to trust you to help me make the best of it so that other people can see Jesus in me and use me. That's what we're talking about. That's every day getting up, looking at a cloud, looking at fire, figuring out where it is, and go after it. And Israel had to do that because God was trying to teach Israel right off the bat, look. And by the way, there's going to come a couple of tests here, and you're going to see that Israel fails them. Even though there's a cloud in front of them and a pillar of fire, they still can't see God. When they first go to scout out the promised land, you know what they focus on? Giants. Pillar of fire. Oh, we can't do it because there's giants in the land. Two guys stand up and go, look at that. It's a pillar of fire. You don't think that fire can consume those giants? Let's go. What's the difference? Two guys see God, ten guys don't. That's what we're talking about. And I want to challenge you this week. So I end this morning with this. Israel learned to wait and focus on God. They moved when God moved. Life for Israel had an uncertain certainty. They had to trust and stay close to God every day. His presence was constantly evident in their life. God is at work in your life today as well, and he will be all week long. It's your job to see, follow, and join him in what he wants to do this week. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy for us to see this in hindsight and not understand how Israel could miss it. But the reality of it is, every day, Lord, 
you are at work in our lives, through our lives, and Lord, we miss it. For whatever reason, Lord, we tend to focus on our stuff or our problems or our circumstances or our situations and not see you. So help us, Lord, this week to see you in every situation. That, Lord, as we try to follow you, as we try to honor you, as we try to worship you, that people would see you in our lives. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may they come to know the Christ that we know and love. These things we ask in your name.